Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Uh, before we start this morning's message, I just want to highlight a couple announcements that were on the screen but maybe weren't said. Uh, the first one is, in two weeks, we will be receiving our Big Give offering. Uh, we do that once a year here at the Vineyard, and 100% of it goes to like some special project or purpose around here. And this year, uh, we just recently bought some land just right over there, and we're going to clean it up, and we need to get some plans made for probably a little bit of expansion here in our building. And so we're going to put all of that towards that specific purpose. If this is your home church, if your kids go here, if this is where you're spiritually fed and nursed, I would encourage you to be a part of that offering again. That's in two weeks. Also, uh, we're going to have a worship night here on Thursday, uh, February 27 at 7 p.m. So uh, if you can, we'd love for you to come. Uh, There won't be any preaching. It'll just be uh, a time of worship and probably do a little ministry as well, and those tend to be pretty great. So you are so invited. Bring somebody with you. All right, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to continue our series that we're in right now called Seeing, Love in the Round. And this entire series is about uh, what does it mean to be a neighbor, and how can, we, uh, how can we be a neighbor to those around us? In fact, it's the reason we've constructed the room into a circle. It's the reason that everybody over here can see these people. It's the reason these people can see everyone over here, because we're trying to enter into that part of the gospel story that says, uh, number one, uh, you are seen and known by God. Even if you don't feel like it, you are seen and known by God. Number two, to come to church is to, uh, is to see people, and it is to be seen. Uh, and number three, uh, if we're going to be neighbors out there, it probably starts in here. If we're going to be able to like see people Uh, And by see people, I mean like wake up to the realities of their life. If we're going to be able to do that for people who live out there, it probably stands to reason that you and I are going to need to wake up to the realities of the lives that are in the room with us right now and who are are sitting right next to us, who are sitting right next to us. Uh, One of the things that we've learned over the last few weeks, because we've been looking at Luke chapter 10 and the story of the Good Samaritan, one of the things that we've learned is that Jesus... Uh, redefines what is neighboring. And so what it means to be a neighbor is not simply uh, to be nice to people who are like us. Uh, Being a neighbor is less to do with those who are ethnically like us or those who are near us in proximity. But to be a neighbor means uh, who can we show compassion to, right? Y'all remember the story? Like it's the good Samaritan who has compassion and Jesus says, oh, this is the one who is the true neighbor, right? And so uh, neighboring is redefined for us, and it's rooted in something to do with mercy and compassion. And that's just sort of a recap. But here's what I want to do this morning. I want to talk to you about how can we start neighboring, but then also how can we sustain neighboring. So we're going to talk about two different big ideas this morning. We want to lean into the Good Samaritan story uh, even more again this morning. And what we want to listen for is we want to listen for how can we start being a good neighbor and we want to uh, let the definition of what a good neighbor is be defined by Jesus. So how can we start it? But then how can we 
continue it. And so before we do that, what I want to do this morning is just read the scripture. I want to read the text that has been our anchor. So if you can put up Luke chapter 10, that'd be great. This is Jesus telling the story of the Good Samaritan, but I do want to tell you what happens right before this. The little context is that a teacher of the religious law comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, you seem smart. What is the most important thing in life? And Jesus says, well, why don't you tell me? What is the most important thing in life? How do you read it? And the guy reflects back to the Old Testament and says, well, the most important thing in life according to the law is to love God first and most and to love your neighbor as what? To love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you know what? You got that right. That is true. And then the guy says to Jesus, wanting to justify himself, he says, okay, well, then who is my neighbor? And when the Bible says he wanted to justify himself, what it, what it says there or what it means is the guy was basically saying to Jesus, well, uh, who do I have to love in order to be in, right? And then in response to that, Jesus tells this story to basically say to the guy, oh, you still don't get it yet. And so this is our text this morning. And again, I want you to listen for how can we be a true neighbor? How can we start? But then also, how can we sustain? How can we keep being a good neighbor? So here's the story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. And they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him half dead beside the road. And by chance, a priest came along. And when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road, and he passed him by. Then a temple assistant, read for that, maybe your translation says Levite, uh, and read for that, uh, the worship leader. Then a temple assistant walked over and looked at him. So look, you got to see this. Walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And uh, maybe you're not aware of this, but at the time, uh, the Jews and the Samaritans, similar but slightly different ethnic groups, and they did not get along with one another. They did not have good, fuzzy feelings about each other. They both thought that the other was the worst, right? So basically, Jesus says, then the worst guy comes along, and when he saw the beat-up man lying there, he felt compassion for them. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day, he handed the innkeeper, notice this here, two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man and if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I am here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. Not, notice here, Jesus is framing this completely different than the beginning of the story. The, the point of this story is not, who is my neighbor? The point of the story is what? Who, who, who am I a neighbor to? Right? Yeah. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man? And then the man replied, well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, you got it right, now go and do likewise. That's our text this morning. 
I want to talk to you about how to start being a neighbor, and I want to talk to you about how to sustain it. And we're going to do that four different ways this morning. So if you're taking notes, you can make a little outline. And the outline is going to go something like this. I want to talk to you in the beginning here about seeing. Then I want to talk to you about what surfaces in my day. Then we're going to spend a moment talking about the fact that there is provision inside of mercy. And then we're going to finally land on giving our part. So the first two are going to be about how to start being a good neighbor. And then the second two are going to be about how to sustain that kind of life. Seeing what services in my day, provision inside of mercy, and giving our part. Well, the first thing I want to do is I want to talk to you about seeing. And this, is, this has been something we've been talking about for the last few weeks. It's the reason we call this series seeing. But in order to start being a neighbor, uh, we have to start seeing, or if you want to change the language here a little bit, we have to start waking up. We have to start seeing the people around us, and we have to start seeing the places where there's pain and hurt. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I like my daily routine. Anybody here have a daily routine? Yeah. How many of you know that if you have a routine, it actually helps you uh, function in this world? Like, the more you have a routine, the more you can hopefully focus on the things that are important, uh, lean into them, and hopefully accomplish something. Uh, how many of you have ever, like, uh, maybe had a routine, and then you went on a vacation? And maybe it was even kind of a longer vacation than normal. Uh, maybe it was a 10-day vacation or a 14-day vacation. And somewhere along day 10, 11, or 12, what do you start thinking? I just need to get home. I need to get up at 6. I just, I'm desperate to get up at 6.30. I want to go to work. I want my kids to go to wherever it is they go to. And I want, like, I want my email to come to me. And I want my coffee to be there. And I just want my routine. Anybody ever had that experience? Like, how many of you know vacation is awesome, right? And then at a certain time, like, vacation will kill you. Yeah. Why? Because we, we're, we're creatures of habit and we need some sort of, like, a we need some sort of a, a system or a trellis to live inside of. Yeah. Well, the reason I'm bringing up my daily routine is uh, one of the things that actually keeps me from seeing my neighbors, from being awake, is just the grind of my daily routine. Like, I have a daily routine. Here's what I do. I get up. I take a shower. I have my coffee and my favorite little coffee cup, by the way, not a big one. That's a pro tip. I gave you that a couple weeks ago. Get rid of all of your big coffee cups. If you're at home, get a little one. It keeps your coffee hot the whole time. And Miranda's sister can make them for you on her potter's wheel at reasonable prices. But I get up. I take a shower. I have my little coffee cup. Then I get the kids and I take them to school. Then I go to the gym. And then I come here to my office and I close the door and I answer all my emails. And then I read my Bible and then I read whatever book it is I'm working through. And then I go to lunch and I have a routine and I like my routine and my routine is good. It keeps things going. But the thing about it is it can also numb me or blind me to the people who are really around me, right? Things can be happen, but it, be, it can be just sort of like, well, something's happening, but you don't understand. I have to go to the gym. Because that's what I do. It's, it's like, it's 8.15. It's time for me to go to the gym. You don't understand. It's time for me to have my second coffee. You don't understand. Like, I have, it's email time. Like, you may have problems, but I have email. You know? 
I don't know about you, but I've noticed that routine can blind me to what's around us. And here's the thing. Neighboring, in order to start being a neighbor the way that Jesus talks about, it requires us to first see, like, see people, to see what's happening. Uh, who's around me? What is happening? Uh, are there moments that need a host? Are there moments that need a host? And I'm using that language of host because uh, there's a couple words that are like deeply connected to what it means to be a Christian. Uh, and the words are connected. But hospitality and service, right? These are like, you want to be a Christian? Lean into hospitality and service. Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served, right? But what? To serve. And how many of you noticed that in the New Testament, it doesn't matter whose house Jesus is at, by the end of the story, Jesus always ends up being the host. Have you ever noticed that? Like somebody will be like, dude, you should come to my house. Jesus is like, I'm totally going to your house. And he sits down at somebody else's table. And then at the end of the story, Jesus is the guy who's like breaking the bread and telling you. Have you noticed that? Yeah. What's that about? Uh, Jesus is the host. Uh, Jesus is the neighbor, right? Um, the reason this idea of host is so important when it comes to neighboring, uh, it, it's this idea. It's because whoever the host is, the host is the one who's taking responsibility for the moment on behalf of the other person, right? Isn't that what happens? How many of you know that if you go to a restaurant and you're having a really, really great time with your wife, uh, you're only having a really great time with your friend or your wife or your husband or your loved one or your buddy, you're only having a really good time because there's someone in the back busting their tail uh, working really hard, right? This is, uh, this is a truism in life. Uh, anytime you're enjoying something greatly, it's because someone else, somewhere else is paying the price every time, right? Yeah, uh, it's this idea of hosting. It's this idea of neighboring. Uh, to be a true neighbor or to be a good neighbor means to wake up to the realities. Wake up to the people. Uh, where are their problems? Where is someone struggling? Where is there someone around me that needs compassion? Where is there something around me that needs mercy? Uh, am I in a moment that needs hosting? And by hosting, I mean, am I in a moment that needs someone to take responsibility for the well-being of this moment, right? And how many of you know that you don't have to invite people to your house for dinner in order to be the host? Uh, how many of you know you can host moments, you know? You ever sat down at coffee or at lunch with someone and realized that you just came into the presence of someone who is hosting something else altogether? Yeah, this is the beginning of being a neighbor. But seeing is only the beginning of being a neighbor. It's not the end. Uh, one of the things I've noticed is that being a good neighbor, it doesn't just require seeing, but it requires us to move past seeing and into asking good questions. Uh, and here's why. Because most people are concealing, they're concealing the, the realities of their life. I want you to think I'm good. So I, I won't always let on as to what's going on in my life. And so sometimes in order to see or to be a good neighbor, we need to learn to ask good questions. And I, I just want to give you a few questions that you need to have in your pocket. You want to be a good neighbor? You need to have these in your pocket and you need to practice asking these questions because it's the beginning of hosting or serving or neighboring. Uh, question number one, how is your life? Like after you wake up to the people who are around you, here's a great one. How is your life? 
Here's one that's very connected to that one. It's similar, but it's slightly different. How is your heart? Anybody here ever had someone ask you, how is your life or how is your heart? How many of you know that those two questions are different than how are you doing? What is the, what is the universal answer to how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm great. I'm great. You know, insert the little meme of the dog with everything behind it, you know, on fire, right? How are you doing? Everything is fine, you know? But these questions are different. How is your life? That's, that's a host question. How is your heart? That's a neighboring question. That's different. Uh, here's what I found. I found that when you begin to play these questions with people, people will actually answer you honestly. You, you can be at Kroger next to the spaghetti squash, and you can ask someone, how is your life? And they will tell you. By the way, spaghetti squash, profoundly underrated. Some of you are in dinner ruts, and you don't know what to do. Spaghetti squash. And don't be one of those lunatics who puts marinara on it either. Just let the ingredients speak. Salt, pepper, a little olive oil. Let the ingredient speak. But right there in Kroger, if you begin to ask different questions, it's okay to laugh in church, guys. That was funny. (laughs) If you begin to ask these kinds of neighboring questions, even at the grocery store, here's what I found. People will tell you. I've had amazing encounters with people, even in places like that. Here's another question that's good to ask. How is your marriage? You know, maybe, maybe you're a married person and you're friends with some other married people. Here's a great question. How is your marriage? No, really. How is it? You guys okay? Uh, you know why that's a good question? Because marriage is hard and ain't nobody going to make it alone. No one. No one, no one. You can read your Bible every single day. You will not make it in marriage alone. You will not. You need people with you. How is your marriage. Uh, this is a great way to begin to host, to begin to make some neighboring space for the people who are around us. Here's another one. How are your kids? Uh, here's a great question. What are you hoping for? What are you hoping for? You're hanging out with somebody, you know, and, and you've already talked about like the Kentucky game and the stupid weather and how it won't stop raining. Uh, here, here's one to, to interject into that banal conversation that can open up a little neighboring space. What are you hoping for? What are you hoping for? That's a great question. It's all about seeing. Okay, how do we start? We start by seeing, but then we move past seeing and we start asking better questions based upon what we see. And if you can begin to connect the questions that you're asking to the things that you're seeing, even better. Okay, number two, what surfaces in my day? Oh, this is a huge one. This is a huge one. If we're going to start being a neighbor, oh my gosh, we have to realize that oftentimes God is giving us opportunities to be a neighbor, uh, and it's purely just based upon the things that surface in our day. And here's what I mean by that. The things that are out of the normal, the things that are, that are unusual, the things that are popping up in our day that don't fit into our routine, the things that feel like disruptions, like to connect this back to the Good Samaritan story. What is the thing in the Good Samaritan story that was unusual? Guy in a ditch. How many of you know when you see a guy in a ditch, that's weird? 
It's like, like, and that's even part of the way that Jesus is telling it, right? He's like, well, there's this priest, and he's going to the temple to get his worship on, but there's a guy in a ditch. You know, that would be unusual. Uh, guy in a ditch, that's the weird thing. And how many of you know that it might not always be guy in a ditch, but something is happening every single day? And if we can wake up to, like, like, what is my day? What is my life? What is my routine? If we can even be awake of any of those things, if we can start seeing people, if we train ourselves to ask better questions that make space for hosting, then maybe, maybe we could be awake enough to start seeing what is weird. What is weird going on? Like, what is the unusual thing? And it's not always bad unusual. Sometimes it's very good unusual. But what is the thing that's like out of the ordinary? What are the softball pitches? Here's what I've noticed. When it comes to like being a person who is a neighbor and who is merciful and compassionate, like God is basically playing t-ball with us. Like there will be, there will be like mercy needing moments that are on these little tees and they're just sitting there, you know, and they're around us all of the time. Uh, what is out of the ordinary? Uh, for instance, did a coworker miss work? You know, have they missed two days in a row? Are they sick? Do they need checking? Do, do they need someone to like go get their medicine? Do they need a meal? I'll just tell you one little quick story that made me really happy. Uh, a couple weeks ago, someone here at the church got, got really sick. Not like go to the hospital sick, but like they were at home for several days in a row. And one of their friends knew they were home several days in a row. And, you know, when you get really sick and you can't go anywhere, how many of you know your life kind of devolves? Like really rapid. You think you have it together. All you need is a fever a few days in a row, and you're like, and it looks like, it looks like an apocalypse or whatever. Anyway, one of the friends to this person found out that they were sick, and so this friend called some other friends who knows them, and they just like cooked meals for them three or four days in a row. And here's what I loved about that: uh, it wasn't a strategic plan from the institutional side of the vineyard. It wasn't like me and Andrew and our staff got together and go, well, who do we need to take care of now? You know, and that's good too. But it was, it was the actual people who go here were seeing the other people who were going here, were noticing something is unusual, and then without even like texting me, they just worked it out, and they, they did acts of mercy and compassion for someone who, who wasn't necessarily dying, but was struggling. Does this make sense? Guy in a ditch, right? It's like, oh, what can we do? There it is. Now, I'll tell you one little story here about the things that surface in our days. Um, sometimes these kinds of things like literally show up smack dab in the middle of our life. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this quick story. This has been probably, I don't know, Seven or eight years ago, it's been a good minute, but I was on my way to church. This was a Sunday morning. It was cold outside. It was a Sunday morning, and I'm driving to church, and I live out in an area called Roachville, and I'm on Roachville Road, <clears throat> and I'm not even a mile away from my house, and there's a section of the road that goes up above Green River. It's like a big bluff, and right on the bluff above Green River Early on a Sunday morning, it is cold, there's frost everywhere. I drive up, and there's a truck in the middle of the road stopped. And so I stop, and then when I stop, I look really closely. And what I see is uh, a man laying in the middle of the road in his underwear, beaten to within an inch of his life. This is, this is an actual real story. 
And I get out, and I go over to the man, and I thought he was dead. And I get down next to him, and I put my hands on his neck, and I, I, you know, okay, he's alive, and he's breathing. And I turn him over, and his face is, you can, it's hard to describe, right? He's beat to the point I don't know who he is, but I realize who he is because I recognize his truck, and I realize he's my next-door neighbor, right? Uh, two things happen in my brain all at once. One, I'm thinking, oh no, my next door neighbor is about to die. The other thing I'm thinking is, how did I end up in a Bible story? You know, it was like, I'm like, this is literally happening to me, right? <clears throat> uh, the really, really strange thing is, uh, I was in my car and I never, ever, ever, ever have blankets in my car. I mean, some people, you're very prepared. You have jumper cables, you have tools, uh, you have food, you have blankets. That's not me. That's not what I do. I don't have blankets. But on this morning, for some reason, I had three blankets in my back seat. And I was able to get the guy off of the road because I thought I was afraid another car was going to come over and just hit us, right? You know. So I get him into the ditch, and I cover him up, and I call 911. And here it is, all of a sudden, I'm living right in the middle of this story. And what's surfacing in my day is the actual stuff that Jesus is talking about, right? The actual stuff. And by the way, uh, just so you know, I- I'm no real hero here, right? Like, like, I couldn't have driven past this guy if I wanted to. He was in the middle of the road. Like, I had to stop, you know, some of you are like, oh, Pastor Adam's really good. Well, I'd like to think I'm a decent person, but there's also just the practicality. This guy was in the middle of the road. Uh, how many of you know that God is oftentimes doing stuff like that with us, and it's not always as stark or screaming or extreme, but there is stuff in the middle of the road every day, and if we can wake up, if we can become the host, and if we can look out, see beyond ourselves even a little bit, we'll probably see some places that are begging for mercy and compassion, right? So we see, and then we go, what is surfacing in my day? Okay, those are two good ways to start. Now I want to talk to you about how to sustain. Uh, I loved what Emily brought up with us last week. By the way, didn't Emily do a good job? I said this first service, listen guys, if I get hit by a bus, Emily gets the church. (laughs) She doesn't want the church, but she's getting it, right? She'll... Uh, But I loved what Emily brought up last week. Uh, Sometimes maybe we keep keep distance from being a neighbor like this because it awakens awakens our fear that we might run out of resources, right? Like, Like what if waking up like this requires me to give and give and give, and then all of a sudden I just don't have anything anymore? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I thought that was really insightful. Well, here's what I want to do in the time we have left. I want to talk to you very quickly about not only how to start being a neighbor, but how to sustain being a neighbor. How many of you know there's a difference between starting something good and keeping it up, you know? Yeah. Two thoughts on sustaining. The first one is this. There's provision inside of mercy. Uh, This is something I just keep seeing in this story. Uh, The Samaritan sees the hurting man. He bandages his wounds. He takes him to the end. And he pays for him to be there. 
And the Bible even says that he pays a sum of money. If you notice this morning, it said what? There's two silver coins, right? Uh, who's the guy in this story that had the money? The Samaritan. I mean, maybe the other guys had some money too. I don't know. But the Bible says that the one guy we know who had some money in this story was the Samaritan. And at this point, I just want to say there's a couple ways that we could read this part of the story. So, for instance, one way that we could read this part of the story would be something like this. Uh, the Samaritan was merciful because he had the money, right? Or the Samaritan was a neighbor because he had the resources. The Samaritan was kind because he had what he needed for the moment. And here's what I just want to say about that reading. Uh, that's a fair reading. It's probably kind of true. Uh, I'm not even opposed to that. It's possible that it was a factor. Uh, here's the other thing I want to say about that. Uh, it's also true that having resources gives us a certain amount of responsibility for what's happening around us and who, what's happening with people who are near us. Like, like if, if you become a person of, of means, uh, if you become a person who has money, or if you become uh, highly emotionally intelligent, which we want everybody to become, uh, if you have extra time on your hands, uh, then to be a Christian means we have extra responsibility for the things and the people that are happening around us. That's just what it means, you know? Uh, however, there's another way to read this story, and I cannot get away from it. And it goes something like this. What if, what if there's provision inside of mercy? Meaning this, what if being a neighbor and showing mercy and really seeing others ensures we always have what we need? What if there's provision inside of mercy. Uh, what, what, if, what if leaning forward with mercy and compassion, what if it kicks something off in the world? What if it's kicking something off in the cosmos and it, to show mercy means that you will always have what you need and you will always have something to share? What if there's something like that? Um, here's a little example. How many of you have ever cooked dinner for your family of four, had a couple surprise guests that you did not know were coming over, only to find out that the meal you prepared for four suddenly fed six and no one got up from the table hungry. Anybody ever had that happen to you? That's happened to Heather and I 17,000 times. And we're happy about it, right? Like, yeah, it's a perfect example. I'll tell you another little story. Um, many years ago here at the Vineyard, we used to do this thing in the summer called Church at the Lake. And this was a long time ago, okay? This was one of the first ones we ever did. And, and sort of the contract that we had with the church was this. We'll bring the chicken, and y'all bring everything else, okay? So you guys bring the potato salad, bring some green beans, try to keep the cat hair out of it. You know, we'll... What, you don't think about that? Because I do, right? That's how we build herd immunity here at the vineyard. We have potlucks. We just... It's okay to laugh. It's funny. I'm on a roll. Okay, so this was many years ago, and the church was way, way smaller, and we were planning for about 100 people to come to this thing, okay? We got our little pavilion set up, and Andrew went to, I don't know, Walmart maybe, and bought chicken. I just know that it came in a big cardboard box, and we bought chicken for 100 people, well, on that Sunday morning, uh, Andrew and I are looking at each other, and we're kind of like in the, under the pavilion, and the guys are doing some worship with acoustic guitars. 
And I just start becoming very aware there's way more than 100 people here. Uh, people really did take it to heart, and they invited their friends and neighbors. And all of a sudden, we had about 250 people outside, and we had chicken for 100. Andrew and I even talked, do we need to go get pizzas? Like, what are we going to do, right? But it was too late. And the next thing you know, uh, the little service that we had done was over, and people had lined up, and they're going through the line, and they're grabbing chicken out of the box, and people are taking two pieces of chicken. And I'm thinking, you jerk. Can you, can you not see? Like we, are, like, we already don't have enough chicken, and you're taking two. And, and, and people are putting their plates together, and they're sitting everywhere, and everyone's laughing. Everyone but me is laughing, right? Everyone is having a great time. I'm not, because I think, oh my gosh, we have, we have way more people here than... We were anticipating, and we're going to have guests. Like, there's visitors here. There's a ton of visitors. This is like, this is like pastor neurosis, right? Because you're like, you've invited people to something. Now they actually came, but you didn't keep your end of the deal, right? And so by the end of this, people just keep going through the line. One piece of chicken, two pieces of chicken. Get it on my plate. Just keep going, right? And all of a sudden, Finally, everyone is laughing and having a good time, and people are sitting in the grass and under the pavilion. Uh, people are everywhere. Everyone has a plate. Everyone has eaten, and the chicken didn't run out. And I had not gone because I thought, well, I'll just not eat because me not eating is going to help. <laughs> <clears throat> and once everybody had gone through, I walked up to, I walked up to the cardboard box, and guess what was in there? More chicken. There's a Bible story for that, right? Like, I, we, I've seen it. I've seen it at my house. I've seen it at this church. We bought chicken for 100, fed over 250 people, and at the end, there was chicken left over. What is that about? Well, here's what I think it's about. This is how medieval I am. I think there's provision inside of mercy. I think if you lean forward... Uh, if you lean forward into being a neighbor, if you lean forward into being the host, if you lean forward into mercy and compassion, God will make sure you have what you need and the other person as well. I believe it. Okay. I want to finish up here. Serving our part. Giving our part. And if you want to underline something, underline the word part. The second part of this sustaining kind of life has to do with giving our part. And again, the emphasis is on the word part. And let's just review the story for a moment. Uh, because here's the thing. This Good Samaritan story is read in a particular way, and we've been reading it in a particular way this morning. And there's a, there's a piece of it that is sort of overlooked and not realized, and I just want to bring it up. So uh, there's a guy in the ditch probably not going to make it. The priest doesn't want to have anything to do with him. The worship leader doesn't want to have anything to do with him. But the dirty, rotten Samaritan sees him, goes to him, bandages his wounds, puts him on his mule, takes him to town, gives him the care he needs, pays for his care with two silver coins, and works out the deal with the innkeeper. And then what does he do? He leaves. He leaves. This is actually really part, important. Uh, if you want to be a sustaining neighbor, 
if you want to be someone who doesn't just start neighboring but sustains neighboring, it's really important that we see this. Uh, Everybody here has something to give, but it's not all up to you. The Samaritan gives, gives lavishly, gives extravagantly, and then he leaves. You know, what the, you know what the story doesn't say? It doesn't say that the Samaritan sees the man, uh, bandages his man, carries the man to town, pays for his room, and then spends the next three weeks reading him stories and telling him jokes. Uh, the Samaritan did not say, you know what, I'm going to take care of you, and while you're getting better, I'm going to be your entertainment. Uh, listen, I'm going, we, your family doesn't know what's going on with you. I'm going to write letters to all of your family and I'm going to tell them that it's okay and that I've got you and I'm caring for you and I'm going to be with you and I'm going to like whatever you need. I'm not going anywhere. Forget my life. Forget my wife. Forget my kids. Forget my job. I'm just here. It's me and you. We're best friends forever. Right? He, he, he moves on. Uh, this is actually really important. Being a neighbor, doing acts of mercy will require something, but as it does not require us to be everything or to do everything. Uh, and in the case of the Samaritan, he did a lot, but he actually went on and moved on with the rest of his life. Uh, here's what most of us struggle with. One of two things. Most of us struggle with either attachment or detachment. If we were to just like grossly generalize in the, in the room this morning, this room is filled with two kinds of people, uh, attached people and detached people, and both will kill you. God is not asking us to be overly attached or overly detached. Some of us in the room, some of us in the room struggle, struggle with attachment uh, because we're attached to everything Uh, There's another word for that. It's called codependent. We're given to mercy, but to the point that it kills us. Uh, Some of you in the room, you do see people. Some of you in the room do notice what's going on, and you do get involved, and you get so involved. And it's it's it just absorbs everything in your life. You just get involved. Uh, Here's something else that some people who struggle with overattachment do. Uh, They can only relate to people based upon their pain. Think about that for a moment. That's really important. Some people who are given to codependency, uh, not only do you see people and notice what's wrong, but you can only ever really relate to people based upon their pain. Think about even your friendships. Some of us in the room have like friendships, but they're all dysfunctional friendships. Like you met them because you saw someone who was struggling and you felt mercy and you just went there and you wanted to relate on the pain. You wanted to fix it, right? Yeah, uh, oftentimes when we struggle with overattachment, uh, what you'll notice is, is those people can't enjoy anything. Like, it's really, really hard to just go out and have fun because there's, like, there's bad stuff we have to talk about. Like, you know, we're just in it. Yeah, we could take a lesson from the Samaritan. Get in, give the part that we have to give, and move on, right? Uh, but then there's the other part of the room that's here this morning, and some of us, Struggle with detachment. Like we never want to be involved. It's like, no, you don't understand. I have my routine and I have my house and we're going to keep the carpet at our house spotless and I don't need 
your insane life or your crazy children coming in and ruining my carpets, my home. This is my sanctuary, my life, my home. Uh, I have my routine. I have my job. I am efficient. I do what it is I'm going to say. I do. I am about stuff. I cannot get bogged down in your insanity because I have a life that is, that is valuable. I have considered it. You haven't considered your life. But I've considered my life, and I cannot let your crazy come in my door. Right? Isn't this, like, this is it, right? Yeah. And some of us struggle with detachment. We, like, we have a nose. By the way, have you noticed that both of these kinds of people do actually see, right? We do actually see, and we do actually notice what's going on. But there's two different strategies for dealing with it. And the detached people also see. And they also notice. And they use it as a reason to keep proper distance, right? But Jesus is not calling us to overattachment, to fixing everything. You see, here's the deal with the overattachment crowd. Uh, they think they're Jesus, you think you're Jesus. You think that it's your job to save the world. I just want to tell you, uh, there is one Savior of the world. His name is Jesus, and you ain't him. Like, you work with him. You work for him. You are not him. But then there's the other crowd, you know, who's got things at an arm's length. And, and here's what you need to hear. Like, Jesus gives, uh, he gives the best. Uh, he sees the suffering of the world. He doesn't move away from it. He moves to it, right? Yeah. And so I think there's an invitation for us this morning uh, to, be, to be people who are not overly attached, but then also to be people who are not overly detached. You know, like for the detached group in the room this morning, like how long has it been since your life has been profoundly inconvenienced? You know, uh, here's one way of understanding being a Christian. Like, some part of your day or your week is just going to get submarined by someone else. Like, how long has it been since someone just kind of like submarined a moment? You know? Um, how many of you have seen that person at Kroger who took their groceries out and they went to start their car and it just is dead? How many of you saw that person and was like, I didn't see that? You know, how many of you have been that person? Yeah. How many of you are glad that someone else in the parking lot saw you, right? Yeah. Like, what, is it, what does it mean to be a Jesus person? I think it means to live into this Samaritan way, right? To see people, to be vulnerable to pain, to give the gift that we have to give, and to move, to move on. Some of us in the room need to hear the invitation of God to, like, Open up your eyes and see what's happening and to give your part. Others of us in this room this morning, uh, there's probably even specific situations where like the word of the Lord to you is let go. You are not Jesus. Let go. Let go. You know, uh, some systems keep going because we just keep giving, you know, we just, we just keep it going, you know. Sometimes things are really destructive because we just keep making room for it to be destructive. There's an invitation here for everyone in the room to wake up to see. 
to give the gift and to keep moving. All right, hey, if you're on the ministry team this morning, why don't you pop on up and take a place back by the white paintings? And if you are not on the ministry team this morning, why don't you go ahead and stand up this morning? We're going to pray. We're going to close this meeting. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.